certainly is wonderful to worship together. The God who deserves our worship is worthy of it. And it's good to lift each other up in song as we listen to the words. Well, it's been a number of weeks that I've listened to our series, The Sermon on the Mount, Kingdom Living. And there's been a lot of motions that I've gone through as I've studied this. And I hope and believe that a lot of this motion was good emotion. First of all, I'm excited about the title. Pastor Brian gave it that name. I told him, don't let it go to his head when I tell him this. Kingdom living. That says a lot. We need to have the mindset while we're here on this earth that there's something outside of this world that we have stepped in through by our faith in Jesus Christ that we are now in his kingdom. And we're learning how to live his way in this kingdom. And the Sermon on the Mount makes it very clear what God is asking us to be and to do. It's difficult to carry it out. I've always said it this way, it's impossible to carry it out. I need Jesus. I need the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's exciting. And I'm excited to share a part of that today. The other emotion I've had is anger. And Phyllis, according to your teaching, I I, I hope this is righteous anger. (laughs) I believe it is. Um, Some of the things that was shared, and Brian specifically shared this. You see the difference here? We have teachers in America that are saying, let's throw away 75% of the scriptures and only pay particular attention to the New Testament. I get angry at that for many reasons, let alone God says, don't add anything or don't take away and Let's get rid of the Old Testament, 75%. What I personally have learned through the years of studying the Old Testament is incredible. Today we have false teachers. The Bible warns us about us, especially in the last days. We have teachers that are saying things like this. What we want the congregation to do is to visit grave sites and at the grave site we're going to pray that God will release the blessings from those in the grave that haven't received all their blessing in their lifetime so that we can gain their blessing. That's blasphemy. Now that's one I hope all of us here at Hope would say, you're nuts. But there's people buying into it through what today we call pastors or teachers. I'll call them false teachers. There's one preacher that says this. When Christ left left heaven, he left his deity there, and he was only human while he was here on earth. Let me tell you, that teaching 
there's no salvation. Because our salvation was purchased by a living, perfect man who was God as well. And in our passage today, we have something similar to that. People misread, misinterpret, and make up things about the scriptures. Brothers and sisters, we need to be on our guard. It's bad out there. I do a lot of study behind the scene just to hear what's going on. And the Bible talks about there'll be a falling away. I'm not sure if we're there yet, but it, it's getting bad. Please, as we look at the word today, determine in your heart that you will be a person who studies God's word carefully so that you can be approved before him. Someone who rightly divides the word of God. Or in other words to say it, who interprets it with the intention of what the Holy Spirit meant by writing it through these men, Old Testament and New. If you want to turn to the passage, we're in Matthew 5, 38 and 42. 38 through 42. I just want to read the beginning of this. You've heard it said, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. I'm going to stop there for now. This phrase has been used a lot through our teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. You heard it said. And then Jesus says, but I tell you. I want to focus on this part. You've heard it said. Well, where'd you hear it from? Now, certainly, you could be reading the scriptures and you can hear it from there. But I believe Jesus and the other teachers have alluded to, to it. That this is false teaching here. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Well, from the time that it was written, from Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, um, the priest, the prophets, the religious leaders of the day, have taken God's word and used it for their own benefit. That's what's still happening today. And we want to be men and women who carefully study God's word so we are interpreting it correctly. We're exegesing, pulling out of the passage the intent that the Holy Spirit meant it to be through the writers. Not eisegesis. I put in there what I want to hear. That's, what we, that's what's happening. You have heard it said, in the very beginning, when Brian read the passage, um, there, were, there were crowds among them, and then the disciples, he kind of broke that down, between those who follow Christ and the crowd who don't. I want to encourage you, there was a third party who were in the crowd and that was the Pharisees. They hated Christ. He stepped on their parade. And they were always out to get him. And they said, and it even got worse from the Old Testament to the New, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Incredible. 
Let's go to the passage that God talks about. There's three times in the Old Testament, but I want to just look at one in Exodus. Exodus 21. We'll look at first at 22 to 25. We're going to read just the intent of God's heart. This is what's so beautiful about reading the Old Testament besides the New Testament. We get an understanding who God is. He tells us who he is. Wayne and I were just watching a movie again, and one of the phrases, and it comes up so often, a person coming to Christ, but they didn't understand the Leviticus. They always use Leviticus. What's that all about? Well, if you continue to study it and ask the Holy Spirit, one of the things that is so powerful in the book of Leviticus is it tells us the holiness of God. And second, it tells us the depravity of man and what is needed for their sinfulness day after day after day. We must not get rid of the Old Testament. But here's what it says. One of God's laws. If people are fighting and hit a pregnant woman that gives birth prematurely, but there is no serious injury, the offender must be fined. Whatever the woman's husband demands, and listen to this, and the court allows. This is from Exodus 21. We looked a lot of the Exodus 20, which is the moral law. Here we begin to get into the civil law. What God wants man to man, woman to woman, human to human, to understand how we should behave. And the civil law has a court, magistrates, judges. Israel had that. When there was a fence between one person and another, a neighbor, you should read all the laws in the book of the laws. It's fascinating. And what it really spells out is God demands justice for humankind. God is about justice. Not so with the Pharisees. So then it goes on to say, but if there is a serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, and bruise for bruise. And if you notice, it gets a little less offensive. You know, if I I bruise you, you still need to have recompense for that. But here's the thought on that. Clearly, God is saying in the Old Testament, when you do wrong, the punishment must fit the crime. Like Pastor Brian talked about, if your eye offended, pluck it out. God's not saying pluck your eye out. We look like mighty python. No arms, legs. Ridiculous because of my sinful heart and your sinful heart. The passage goes on to say, 26 to 27, and this kind of helps us clear it up, what God's attention and his heart is about. 
an owner who hits a male or female slave in the eye and destroys it, well, he gets a chance to destroy the owner's eye. No, it's not what it's saying. He must let the slave go free to compensate for the eye. And an owner who knocks out the tooth of a male and female slave must let the slave go free to compensate for the tooth. God is saying, when you do something against someone else, there needs to be punishment. This one's pretty powerful. You get your freedom. I think I'd rather get my tooth knocked out and get my freedom than an eye. But God is saying, there needs to be punishment. And it needs to fit the crime. And not necessarily you get to to knock out someone else's eye. The Pharisees, the Old Testament leaders, the religious leaders would take this and take it to the nth degree. And here's the ultimate of what they did. It's no longer justice, it's revenge. And we see that in our world today. You do something against me, I'm going to get you back. And chances are, you're going to do more than what they did to you. We're living in a world, especially in our country, but it's everywhere else, where there's really no law and order. And God said, you must have law and order to be civil against each other. We're not living in that. And we see, if you read the scriptures, the offenses all the time. Some of the famous priests that lost their life for doing wrong was Aaron's son, um, Eli's two sons. God says, you're abusing it so much that I'm taking you out. Eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Boy, they misrepresented that. Here's what Proverbs 24, 9 says. I say to you, if someone gives offense to you, don't pay them back. And we have the mindset is, you mess with me, you step on my toes, you're going to get it. We're going to look at the rest of the passage today from Matthew, where Jesus blows that all away. But I want to read you a passage from Romans 13, 1 to 4. It's a little lengthy reading, but it's, it's worth it. On what the New Testament says about us understanding authority rules and the law is what it says let everyone be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established even bad authorities even dictators God has allowed and we're going to talk about this later in his sovereignty for his purposes. That's a powerful statement. If we want to be followers of Christ, 
we want to be very careful when it comes to criticizing the government or being under their authority. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, however, rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. We're learning about kingdom living. Wow, but I sometimes think they're not fair. God has set that authority up. Am I willing to trust him? Goes on to say, for rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. God wants the government to punish wrongdoers. Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword. For no reason, they are to punish mankind. They are God's servant, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoers. Now, sometimes we Christians are known by goody two-shoes. And I've been a pretty good goody two-shoes my whole life. I did break the law twice, both times it was speeding. But I deserved to be caught and pay the penalty. But if you and I are careful in obeying the laws of our country, most likely you won't get in trouble. There are people who are mistreated, and God will take care of that. We need to trust in him. But it's a powerful statement, and Timothy talks about it too, about praying for those in authority. I appreciate it. Rich praying for our president today. We need to pray for every president, no matter who is in there. We don't want to pray on party lines. That's not a godly position. If we could go back, Sandy, to what Jesus said. So you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. Definitely a command of God that has been misused and used for the benefit of each person who defines it differently. But this is a beautiful place here. But I tell you, when Jesus speaks, we ought to be listening. He is fully God and fully man here on earth. Um, it's incredible as I study the scriptures and try to understand and grow my understanding on the Father, who he is and his role, on Jesus, God the Son, and his role, and the Holy Spirit. I haven't obtained that yet, but I want to tell you, I've learned more. And our God is incredible. When Jesus speaks, he speaks from the one who created all things from the beginning. He knows all things. He's the word, the living word. He wrote everything in here. 
Jesus is life itself. Everything comes from him. Do you and I believe that? It's a powerful belief if we can stand on that every day. So when Jesus says something, we want to listen to it. But I tell you, Jesus is saying, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now, these are principles in the Old Testament as well. But Jesus is making these statements because he now lives in a civilization that has taken God's word and twisted it for their own advantages. You and I, who live in a country that has laws to protect the innocent and punish the guilty, is a great and wonderful opportunity. It doesn't always work because we have sinful men trying to rule and especially in our country today, men who really don't want to follow God. They get angry if you try to put God or interject God into situations or laws. And what you and I need to learn to do, and I say this carefully, I don't care if you're a libertarian, a Democrat, a Republican. You need to learn what God's heart is. This is not our country per se. We have a heavenly dwelling. And we need to think like God thinks. Can you vote for who you want? Absolutely, in this country. But I'm encouraging you to be careful that you allow God's heart and how God's ways are to how you vote. And I'll leave it at that. You and I will each answer to God for everything that we do. So that's how God wants us to respond. That's kingdom living. Can you do that? Somebody raise a fist at me and I'm, I'm ready. Okay? God says don't live that way. And I'm going to try to give you three aspects of how we can do that. I remember, well, it's happened to me twice in the 40 years I've been in business that I got cheated. And I knew these verses and I wasn't going to even take them to court. The one case is I put, I think it was 14 or 15 windows in somebody's house. Now, I was wronged because halfway through, um, I got my second payment. Here's what good businesses should do. When I start a job, I get a third of the cost up front. Then halfway through, I get another third. 
add that together, I'm more than halfway. And then at the end of the job, they have the power to withhold if they're not pleased. So I did a job, put all the windows in, and I got my third and third, and at the end, I got nothing. Now, here's what I've learned how God has worked in my life. First of all, all the windows were paid for. Nothing really came out of my pocket because of the two-thirds that I got. My time, I didn't get paid for at the end. But all through my life, Luane and I have watched God work miraculously when things don't go my way. Or unlawfully, God will always provide. We need to remember that. There's been a few cases, I'm only going to give you one. This was pretty recently. I'm pretty sure it was in Philadelphia. A woman police officer came home and she thought she was going in her apartment. I don't know if you remember that story. And the door must have been unlocked. She went in and she felt there was an intruder. Now immediately in this case, you go back to the Old Testament, there is an unintentional sin. That's what she did. And she shot and killed the man that was in the apartment, his own apartment. Anybody remember that story? <clears throat> when the course court case came up, they had the brother of the man who was murdered, killed on the bench, and he was a believer. And he asked the judge, I don't think it was ever done before, he asked the judge, could I go and give the woman a hug because I forgive her? That is incredible. Because we live in a day where we want revenge. Should that woman be punished for the crime that she did in an unintentional way? Yeah, she should. But there the brother was able to give this woman forgiveness. And she weeped and weeped when she was hugged. We have no idea what God's going to accomplish when we live out these principles that seem incredible to do. How do we accomplish this? I said before, you can't. But you can understand what God wants to do in and through each one of us if we call ourselves disciples, followers of Christ, born-again believers. Colossians 1.27, the Christ in me is my hope, not me. Galatians 2.20, therefore now I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's how we accomplish incredible tasks that God asks us, command us to do. Through Christ, I can do all things. But apart from him, I can't do a single thing. 
my sinful nature and capable of that, but he's given me a new nature through Christ by the Holy Spirit. There's three things I want to suggest to you, and we all can grow in this. I'm desiring to grow in these three principles, three applications. Here's the first one. I need to have an understanding and believing in the complete sovereignty of God. What does that mean? It means a lot, and I can't tell you all that that means today. I love how Rich prayed today that you are ruling over us for eternity. That says a very good definition of sovereignty. God is in rule over his world, his creation, his universe, bad or good. Wayne and I read in the scriptures this week, <clears throat> Saul's trying to kill David. Sad story. The spirit of God has been taken away from Saul. And he's jealous, hateful, back to the anger, and he wants to kill David. And twice, David has the opportunity to kill Saul, and he doesn't. The last one is the one we just read. He sneaks down to Saul's camp. Saul has his spear driven in the ground above his head. I guess that's because he can go like this. And then there's a canteen of water there. I think, again, it's symbolizing the life that we need. And David and his comrade go down and take the spear and the water, go up to a higher mountain, and then holler down, I got your spear! Saul repents again for the second time. But here's a little phrase that it has in the scripture. As this is going on, it says, and God put a spirit of sleep over them all. So they were out. There's times, any noise, I'm awake. There's times, I have a blessed sleep, I hear nothing. Thief can come in and take everything I got. But God is working on our behalf, on David's behalf, to make sure he becomes king. That's God's will. Do you understand and believe in the complete sovereignty of God? I just want to share a few things over the years I've learned. Nothing will happen to me if God doesn't want it to happen to me. I won't be mugged. I won't be killed unless God says it's time for you to be a victim of this dark world. That's what I believe in the sovereignty of God. I also believe this. God is absolute perfection. Holy. Nothing he does is ever wrong. I learned that from a missionary whose husband was killed by a head-on drunk. She came back after experiencing that and taught us God never makes a mistake. Boy, that was a powerful lesson for me. How do you... How do you respond that way? Because you believe in a sovereign God. And I'll say it this way. A sovereign God who has each one of us here in his hand and will accomplish his purposes in us and through us 
if we submit to his rule and reign. We have a deep understanding of who God is and his sovereignty. We can rest in the face of anything. That's a process. But I want to encourage you, today, you can determine, I want to grow in my understanding of the sovereignty of God. Because a year from now, I have no idea what I will experience. But if I'm on the rock of the sovereignty of God, Hebrews says it this way, I cannot be shaken. And God is out there shaking a lot of things, but he wants us to understand if you're in Christ, you don't have to be shaken. Point two, and this is where, I don't know if you saw my notes first when you prayed. I live in the realm of eternity. What Rich prayed was, Lord, that we would believe that you rule for our eternity. What do I mean by to live in the realm of the eternity? in the midst of the here and now. <clears throat> it's in the gospel. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believeth in him will not perish, that's the eternal hell, but will have, present tense, eternal life. The moment you and I have said, yes, I believe in the death of Christ that his blood was shed for me and I'm relying upon his death for my salvation, you have been given a zillion things, but one is eternal life. You are guaranteed, Ephesians said, sealed by the Holy Spirit that you will be in heaven. How do you respond to that? So if I learn to live in the here and now, where there's no guarantees. I have no idea what tomorrow might bring. But I'm living in the fact that God who is sovereign is absolutely, we're going to see to it, that I will be in heaven with him forever. I learned to live a different way. My choices are different. I praise your name for it, Lord. The third and final... Have you ever asked that question? What's the main thing? Stick to it. The main thing in my life after my justification, my salvation, is sanctification. God is redeeming me and transforming me every day to make me like Jesus. I hope that is your goal in life too. Even young people that are here today. It's hard to look ahead. You got so many years. I have a lot less than you guys. But I've learned that if my aspirations, my goal in life is to be like Jesus, then I can believe whatever he brings in my life. What is Romans 828-29 say? God's working it for good and for my transformation. And he's relentless at that. 
You probably know this, but I'm going to say it anyway. If you think God's here for your easiness and benefit and pleasure, you're wrong. We're here for God's pleasure. It's like that psalm that so many people interpret wrong. If you delight in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. I can get anything I want. It's not what it's saying. If I delight in God, if I make him the goal of my life, then I'll be open to whatever he wants in my life. He will give me his desires. I will live out his plan, and there's no better place for you and I to submit to the rule and reign of Almighty God. So then, when we're spit on, or even cut in front of in a car, and I'm learning that, not to respond ungodly. You want to go in front of me? Go ahead. That's not easy. Carnal chick doesn't like that. But I have to submit to Jesus in that moment because he'll give me the power. Similar to we go back to the studies of what we've come so far far through. Lust, anger, trust, learning to let your yes be yes and your no be no. All these things are in Christ. Help us to say yes, Lord. Father, thank you for your word. We want to be a people who reflect you, who image you. And we ask this, that we would be willing to submit every day, every moment. In Jesus' name, amen.